And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton in Zoom conference. And Tim, I am speaking to you. I am out of town right now. Out of New York, I'm speaking to you from what is undoubtedly the most beautiful setting uh, from which I have ever podcasted. I am uh, sitting on a seawall on the Long Island Sound, looking out at the water as the sun sets. It is impossibly serene. In the, in the distance, I can see um, there's a small island with a lighthouse blinking. There are uh, distant ducks honking. Uh, and and I got to say, it's not getting me there because I am so mad about sports. <laughs> I mean, okay, Jay Gatsby. Uh, like... <laughs> uh, well, I'm on the other I'm on the other side. <laughs> I, right? know, I'm looking, I, I got If I see far enough, far enough, I can see the green light uh, representing Daisy's home on the East Egg or the West Egg, whichever one it was. But no, I'm on the I'm on the Connecticut side. Uh yeah, the the first place Mets uh, did not have uh, the the greatest weekend, I suppose, and it, it, that extends beyond losing two of three to the Reds. We're recording this on Monday night during the game against the Marlins. The Mets trail currently, uh, and Javi Baez has already uh, stumbled around first base at, at one point uh, in the proceedings, and Tyler McGill gave up a lot of runs early in the game. Uh, so not not great news on that front. Uh, we're going to talk about the the trade deadline and whether. Uh, the Mets did enough with basically the one big move with Chicago for Baez and, and Trevor Williams, who's now in AAA. Uh, and then there's DeGrom's injury, and the Mets did not sign Kumar Rocker uh, because uh, basically, in the words of the owner, he was not an asset who would return enough on the investment. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah. I want to start I mean, there. Can yeah, we start there? Because yeah, that's just, what's making me mad. I, 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 spoiler alert, I'm not that mad about the trade deadline. I'm mad about um, what uh, something you pointed out about the trade deadline, which was that to become the Dodgers East, which is the Mets' stated goal, they need simply a lot more organizational depth uh, in in terms of, of high-end minor league talent. Now, that's the type of thing that's going to take them years, and it's going to take them money, and it's going to take them some luck, and good drafts, and great scouting, and great analytics, and, and, and a whole lot. But then... You know, to know that supposedly the steal of the draft falls into their laps. Uh, Kumar Rocker, the Vanderbilt pitcher who has been healthy throughout his college career, um, who and, you know, I, I don't know the specifics, the particulars, um, but it did sound like by all by all accounts, it seemed like they were going to sign him. They had agreed to a six million dollar signing bonus, which is slightly above slot. Um, they did not um, do what teams sometimes do when they are unsure about signing a, a uh, above slot 
uh, top pick, which is later draft players that they won't be able to sign for slot value. So in case you can't sign your top guy, then you can go above the slot value for those other guys and, and at least get some uh, some you know later round talent that uh, that might be something more than than their draft positions. Um, but I think. It's not the specifics of this that bother me so much because I don't know if Kumar Rocker will ever, maybe the Mets are right. Maybe this is the one time ever that the Mets medical team has adequately and accurately spied something wrong in a pitcher's medicals. And maybe Kumar Rocker, you know, and this is a horrible thing if it's true for him, maybe he uh, he's toast, right? For all I know, he's toast. I can't tell you that he isn't. I'm not a doctor. I haven't evaluated him. I haven't spoken to him. I barely know what he looks like. But to see the owner of the team uh, just the most patronizing and uh, inhuman tweet, right? Just to, you know, and like, I know so many people love Steve Cohen so much. He has this avuncular Twitter persona, like he's not a cutthroat $10 billion insider trading hedge fund guy, right? And, and you know, he can put on this sort of goofy character on Twitter and act like he's normal. That's not a normal guy. No one normal makes $10 billion. And you begin to see the cracks in in the persona when he reveals something like this, which is starting with education time. This is an extraordinarily patronizing way to get into a tweet. And then just simply referring to this 21-year-old kid who has worked his entire life to play professional baseball, whom now they are the Mets are not offering a contract despite drafting, despite the fact that the MLB draft now will not permit this guy to sign elsewhere, right? This is like collusion by by any name. And and the only reason Major League Baseball can get away with it is because they are, are legally exempt from constitutional law, right? And Steve Cohen is going gonna, is gonna to get all high and mighty and say like, oh no, this is not how you make it. Trust me, I know about investments and this is not the investment I want to make. Like, if I want to say my true feelings about it... I we would have to put the explicit tag on the on the podcast and we're not going to do that but it makes me so just like vehemently i'm just it makes me so mad like it, it i i it, to be so callous um as the team owner right when you're supposed to be like how about fostering goodwill with your players and how about not just how about just being a, it's not even as a team owner just as a person just be a person and realize that this is a a 21 year old who if he is really hurt is now facing the possibility that the one thing he has worked his entire life for is not going to work out for him after people have been telling me he's gonna be one one after people saying you're the best pitcher in college baseball you're the biggest star that's come through college baseball in a decade and and maybe it's not going to happen for you now and this guy who who is in the position to make it not happen who is the the ultimately the guy who could sign the check who could say hey you know what you're not 6 million to us with with whatever is going on but maybe we'll work out 4.5 maybe we'll work out you know I, and i don't know i was in the negotiations you don't know but the mets didn't offer him a contract by all the reports uh to have that guy just come out and and act like this is just like any other business decision just rubs me so very wrong.
Yeah, like it's a little bit of, of saying the quiet part out loud about the draft. You know, like a lot of people were wondering in the aftermath of this, like why doesn't Kamar Rocker get to be a free agent now? Like he wasn't offered anything by the team that drafted him. Why doesn't he get to, you know, kind of pick and choose and have his own market value? And the answer to that is like, well, if he did that, then every draft pick would not want to be signed uh, to get to the open market. It wasn't that long ago that the Red Sox, when Yoan Moncada hit the open market uh, as, you know, a guy who people said was a top, three or five talent were he in the, the, the MLB draft, but he wasn't because he was a Cuban defector, paid $63 million for him. Mm-hmm. And like half and a, half, yeah, 30, penalties. Yeah. $31.5 million to him as a bonus, $31.5 million in penalties. That's how much a player of that, I mean, obviously if everyone were available in that way, then then you wouldn't have uh, a one-time $63 million payment. But, you know, that's how much these guys could, can be worth if there were a true open market for them. That's why the slot bonus system is in place. And, you know, like what this comes down to, it, it's a difficult thing to gauge because, you know, right now on the night of August 2nd, we want to really be able to assign blame for this between the Mets and Rocker. Um, and, you know, without knowing the medicals and, and the, no one is going to, to, to report the medicals like clearly because, you know, that, that's part of Rocker's privacy. Um, it's, it's difficult to say whether the Mets made the right choice here, whether it is proper for them to think that the uh, the 11th pick in next year's draft is worth more than Kumar Rocker based off of what they saw in his, his medical history. I, I agree with you that the way they've gone about it has not felt very good. Um, you know, it doesn't make you feel good if you're a prospect next year uh, and the Mets, you know, kind of similar to, to what they did with Rocker. Like, if we get you to that pick, we'll reward you with an overslot bonus. If they do that with a guy next year, what's to prevent that guy from going, how do I know? You know, yeah. how do I know you're going to honor the promise the way, the way you backed out last year? Uh, and, you know, we, you mentioned the, the lack of depth in the farm system. That's a lost year of development. Like, it's mm-hmm. nice that it, it's worked out for some other teams that have done this, that, you know, the Astros got Alex Bregman instead of Brady Aiken or that they got, um, uh, I guess Pittsburgh got Austin Meadows instead of Mark Appel. Uh, but, you know, like if Mark Appel were as good as he should have been. Like, that was not a medical issue, you know? That was just he didn't want to sign for what the Pirates offered him. Uh, If he turned into a very good pitcher, like, that would have been awful for the Pirates. Uh, Almost as bad as, like, trading Austin Meadows in a a terrible trade for Chris Archer. Uh, So this is the way, like, you look at the Mets, the last four drafts, they have had nine picks in the first two rounds. They've only got three of them still in the system. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. they've... They only have Brett Beatty, their 2019 first-round pick. They have uh, Calvin Ziegler, their 2021 second-round pick. Uh, and they have one other. Uh, they have, oh, uh, JT Ginn from last year, 2020 second-round pick. The other six, you know, Rocker didn't sign, and five of them have been traded. They've traded their two 2016 first-round picks. You want to know why they're not able to make the big moves that other teams were able to make in the last week? It's because they don't have those guys in the system anymore. They've got five or six guys that other, that other teams like that they the Mets don't want to trade because they only have five or six of them instead of ten or twelve of them, uh, and there's they, they can't you know I, the the Giants. I was talking to actually my brother today, uh, and he was like, oh, it seems like the Giants didn't trade as much for Bryant as the Mets did for Baez, uh, and I said, no, actually they traded more. Yeah, significantly uh, more. It's just a less of a hit to their system. Right, because like the, you know the guy that's the ninth best prospect in the Giants system is better than the ninth best prospect in the Mets system by a fair margin. And uh, I talked to some teams that talked to the Mets uh, in the past week, and the point they made uh, was, you know, 
there wasn't that that second tier of guy that you can say you can give us one of these top tier guys. You can give us a Ronnie Mauricio or a Pete Crow Armstrong, or give us two of this next tier. That's kind of what the Yankees did for Joey Gallo, right? Uh, and it's what the Giants did for Bryant. The Mets don't have that second tier, and it's because of the way they've operated with their farm system. It's because they've traded talent instead of spending cash, basically, uh, for a long time. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I mean, something that came up, you know, if I mean, and look, the Scherzer deal wasn't, Max Scherzer wasn't going to come to New York. That was that was clear that the Nats didn't want to deal him, that he didn't want to come. But if you look at that deal, the, the players that the, the, the main players that the Dodgers traded in that package, um, they're not top 10 overall prospects, but both Kiber Ruiz and Josiah Gray are big league ready guys ready to go. The Mets top prospects are all in A ball, you know, so it's, it's a much different. You can't just look at the list and be like, oh, well, Francesco Alvarez, it says he's number 16 in baseball. He's a catcher in A ball. He's three, four years away, right? If 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 a team is looking uh, and, and just like the Minnesota Twins were, just like the Washington Nationals are, uh, is looking to turn things around quickly, they're not going to go for a 19 year old A ball catcher. It's just not what you're looking for when you can have a far more sure thing uh, if you go calling another organization and that that's why kind of the the last six weeks or so when we've talked about the trade deadline like the team that made the most sense for the Mets as a match was Colorado because they were the team that needed anything right Mm -hmm. they were not you know Minnesota uh and and Chicago and Washington were going to look for guys who were nearer to the major leagues uh maybe less so the Cubs but uh the the Rockies were the team that like they were going through the complete overhaul uh, Mm -hmm. and they happened to be the team that kind of angered everyone else in baseball by just not out you know as i as i tweeted the other day like they're not acting in a way that every other team would act we're not even picking up the phone right we're, like, right like sorry i'm busy that they they were just like no we're, we're just gonna try to sign john gray and we're gonna we're gonna give a qualifying offer to trevor story and think that that that's equal value and uh you know every, it's nice to have a team in baseball that doesn't operate the same as everyone else uh, except when you want to make a deal with that team. So, right, so uh, they have the guys you need. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what hurt the Mets in that regard. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, but let's talk about the trade deadline because I think, you know, there's a, I've seen it spun a couple of different ways. Um, a big, big piece of this is that the Mets knew at least a couple hours before the trade deadline that Jacob deGrom would have to be shut down for a few weeks. And shutting Jacob deGrom down for two weeks at this point means you're realistically not going to see him again until September. And um, you have to account for the possibility you won't see him again at all this year. Right. Like that is just a, a plain uh, and, and you know, very, I don't want to say likely, but it is not unlikely 
that Jacob DeGrom's done for the year. Um, it's unfortunate, but it, it, you know, he's a pitcher with an arm injury that is lingering and it's already August. So it's a real possibility. And so a lot of people read that to mean, well, why didn't the Mets again? And we can say why they couldn't get Berrios and why they couldn't get Scherzer. They didn't have the horses to make those deals. But, you know, why didn't they go out uh, and try to make a deal? I mean, you could argue they didn't have the horses to get Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy either. But um, why couldn't they have found themselves a pitcher better than than Trevor Williams? And and. Uh, like bug, I mean, the first name off the top of my head that, that didn't get traded, that was rumored was like Caleb Smith of the Diamondbacks, like would be an upgrade to the back end of their rotation. Um, but he's not going to be Jacob deGrom. And that's what Zach Scott said. And for me, it's like, I can't, I can't kill them for not going big uh, on a pitcher. Cause it's something we talked about just before the deadline, which is if you know, deGrom's not going to, if you know, there's a, like a real good chance deGrom's not going to be part of your rotation in August and, and a uh, chance he's not going to be in September and a chance he's not going to be in the postseason. Well, then your postseason odds look a, a, a whole lot longer, uh, not, not necessarily getting there, but certainly succeeding there. And uh, Caleb Smith to me, that just doesn't change that equation. The guy who does is Scherzer and, and Barrios, but uh, those guys were not really on the table for them. So I don't know that there's, I mean, there certainly was no move made at the trade deadline where I could say, okay, the Mets could have matched this and the Mets should have matched this. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Scherzer was, was not going to come to New York. Uh, Barrios, the Mets, you know, when they found out the news about DeGrom on Friday, that was the team they went back to. They The, the talks with the Twins had kind of died down earlier in the week. You know, the Mets were not going to pay the price that the Twins wanted for Barrios. Uh, and they kind of they called back and were like, "Hey, like, we're a little bit more interested now. Like, like, what do you got?" Uh, and um, it it sounded like essentially the Twins were like, "This is the deal we have, the one that they eventually did with Toronto." And the Mets were like, "What about this?" And the Twins said, "No, that that's not not yeah, that they, close." I mean, they got uh, a they got a number five overall pick, right? Who is playing well, a shortstop playing well in Double A? Like that guy's going to be in the majors next year. Yeah, so you know the the Mets would have had to come back with uh, probably something like Ronnie Mauricio and Matt Allen. And even that, like because of the timeline, both of those guys are farther away from the major leagues than Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. Uh, that, that probably wouldn't have worked as well for, for Minnesota as the Toronto deal did. So I, I don't think they really, again, like they had the horses for Barrios. The, the guy that I was interested in, in why nothing happened with, and not just with the Mets, but overall, is Michael Pineda with, with the Twins. Mm-hmm. Because he he's a rental. The Twins clearly sold on some other guys. Uh, it seemed like uh, that could have been a, another arm they moved. And someone who you know would have helped the Mets in a different way than Trevor Williams. Um, you know, there, there's, look, there, there's some things to like about Trevor Williams. Maybe if he just throws his slider a lot more, he can be uh, a, a useful arm. Maybe in shorter stints. Uh, maybe even out of the bullpen, uh, but certainly, you know, if you're looking at this rotation, like you're you're living with a five man rotation right now that is Stroman, Walker, McGill, Carrasco, and Rich Hill, uh, and you know, outside of Stroman and Walker, and even Walker obviously has not pitched well uh, since the All Star break. Those aren't guys you're counting on to go six innings with consistency. You know, Hill is probably a, a, a two turns through the order and out kind of guy at this point, and and that's how the Dodgers treated him for a long time. McGill has started to throw six innings. He's, he's having a rough start on Monday night, his first real rough one. Um, but, you know, it's, it's probably not a guy you're thinking is going to give you six con- every time out there. Uh, and, and same with um, 
Carrasco at this point. He's got to work his way up to that. Uh, and, you know, the Mets wanted to go to, or, or at least talking about going to a six-man rotation once DeGrom came back in August before the setback, where they could give those guys more rest. And now they don't have that. Or if they want to go six-man, then they have to use Williams, who's another guy who's probably not going to throw six innings for you. So that just stresses the bullpen out even more. You know, it would have been nice. It's it's hard at the trade deadline when you've got a situation like the DeGrom situation to operate in ways that are uh, that help you kind of in different possibilities, different hypotheticals, you want to build your team so that if DeGrom is back in August or something, uh, or if DeGrom comes back on September 1st and looks like DeGrom uh, into the postseason, you have given yourself the best chance to do something in the postseason. But because there's also the chance that uh, he doesn't come back right away on September 1st or he doesn't come back at full strength, you don't go too hard on in buying for the 2021 postseason. You right. might not have your, your most important piece, but also, you want you know you want to have the team that if, if he's healthy, maybe just on October first, and he's back for the postseason. You want to make sure you get there for it. You want to make sure that's useful. So there's kind of you're juggling these different scenarios in the air, and and you end up taking this kind of in between approach. It was not a, an all out buy because they didn't get a starting pitcher alongside Javi Baez, but it wasn't a, a sit pat and do nothing. You know, you got uh, the 2018 MVP runner up, and you gave up one of your best prospects to get him for two months. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And and really, I think, you know, the, the ceiling of this team is is directly tied uh, to what Jacob deGrom's health status is come September. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, like, you know, I had said it on the podcast before the trade deadline, like, Baez was the guy I wanted. Um, I think the, the cost seems reasonable. Like, when I heard, I saw it reported, I think Bob Nightingale, my, my old uh, my yes. old teammate, report, said, like, Pete Crow Armstrong is going in the deal. I was like, oh, that's that's funny. It's funny that... You know, only one small part of the deal is with leaking out before the rest of the package. Um, and that's not to knock Pete Crow Armstrong, but he's a 19-year-old who's missing the entire season with shoulder surgery. Like, to me, that's a move you have to make. And and I just, I, I feel like, you know, I, I hope for his sake he has a nice career, but I don't know that... Um, uh, to me, it seems like a no-brainer to to deal a guy that far away, and and with the uncertainty uh, certainly that comes with a, a shoulder injury, um, for a guy like Javier Baez, who uh, we saw it in his first game with the with the big home run, um, and and uh, just brings an energy, you know, like it, the way I th- I see it, if this team is going to succeed now, um, especially with Degrom out. It's it can't it's not going to be starting pitching like you know it it was the pitching in the first half the pitching kept them uh, sort of ab- uh, above water um, their offense has been bad I like there's there's no there's no sugar coating that the offense uh, seemed like it would be good and and has instead been bad uh, injuries have played a, an absolutely tremendous part of it I think if this team's going to succeed from this point forward it, it needs to be the offense firing on all cylinders and I think it can do that and to me adding a guy like Baez uh, who does give you you know a different look um, who does you know j- jumps on first pitches swings at everything um, you know it's a it's a largely a, a you know patient disciplined Sandy Alderson type offense and to have that one guy who is you know, hyper aggressive in there in addition to you know every Everything else he brings to the table defensively and as a base runner and uh, seemingly as a teammate, uh, I love that move. I, I just think it's it's extremely fun. Um, it's it's a, a lovely story that he and Lindor are so close. I would be thrilled if they could re-sign him. Um, I just think he's a, a 
electric player, like I said in the in the last one. So uh, I'm good with the trade deadline. I'm not good with the Kumar Rocker thing. Yeah, and and we'll see. Uh, you know, like that offense has to. You need Michael Conforto to be hitting uh, better than the what 109 or whatever he hit on the last homestand over 11 games. Would it seem like he was? turning a corner based off the, the road mm-hmm. trip before that. So he looks lost. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he does. He looks kind of the way Lindor did earlier in the season. Uh, you know, you can, it's, it's just been a very strange season for them offensively that, that really none of those guys have gotten into, have had the kind of expected season uh, or have had the season you expect them to have. Uh, they're all kind of below what you would, would have projected going into the year. And Alonzo has, has been hot lately. McNeil's been hot. Uh, you know, Nimmo's had a nice year, but he's he's now dealing with a physical issue. Uh, so it's they just haven't clicked for any length of time offensively, uh, and they're going to need to uh, in order to. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The NL East is so is so bad at this point that like I don't know that like, like maybe they win it with eighty five wins. Maybe that's enough. Maybe they go five hundred the rest of the stretch, and that's good enough to win this division. Uh, but, but the Braves tooled up a little bit, right? Like the Braves at least added uh, some some roster depth. They, like they 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 didn't make a big move, but to me the Braves at least indicated like, hey, we want to make we want to make a play for this, and the Phillies did too, right? Adding two big pitchers. Yeah, I mean the the Braves made their Kelly Johnson and, and Juan Uribe move essentially right. in right. getting uh, Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler and, and Eddie Rosario for when he comes back. That like I, I like that all three of them are essentially the same type of player. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all like. Guys who are going to hit home runs, not get on base at a 300 clip. Uh, two of them are righties. One, one's a lefty. Uh, Jorge Soler, do- yeah. Jorge Soler feels somehow to me like he's always been on the Braves. <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, they're improving it. Like, the, the upgrade from the Abraham Almonte, Orlando Arcia platoon that they were running out there, uh, which, you know, Almonte had a nice series against the Mets last week. But aside from that, had not done a lot. Uh, like, that's an upgrade for them. Uh and we'll see, you know, I think Richard Rodriguez in the, the bullpen is a, a big get for them because of the way the, the back end, especially from the right side for them, has pitched this year. And the Really Phillies, cool hair. Really cool hair. <laughs> and the Phillies with Gibson, I, I, I thought it was a strange trade because Spencer Howard was so well regarded not that long ago. Uh, and they didn't really give him a real fair chance. Uh, right. They kind of bounced him back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. Uh, but they also got a prospect back in the deal. They're moving Ranger Suarez from the closing role to the rotation. So Kennedy doesn't like he helps out in the bullpen, but just he's just replacing the one guy there who was good. And, and maybe Suarez can be a good starter. He pitched well on Monday uh, in the, I think three innings, but uh, you know, none of the, none of those teams made the move that like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, like I think we talked a little bit about it uh, a, f- a few times ago, like the 2015 blue Jays were a team that were 500 or under 500 at the trade deadline. And then they went wild. Re- yeah. Had, had a great run differential. You know, that team was run by Alex Anthopoulos, who's now the GM of the Braves. Like, he could have viewed that, you know, the Braves have the best run differential in division. He could have viewed that this Braves team the same way. Acuna's injury is probably the reason he didn't. Uh, but, you know, that Blue Jays team, when they traded for Price and Tulowitzki, uh, I think Ben Revere, uh, they made some other moves. Uh, like, when they did that, it was like, oh, like, that's a team that that's that's going to throw a scare into the Yankees who were in first at the time, even though they were six or seven back. I don't think the moves the Braves or Phillies made uh, are are that kind of threat to the Mets. I like I would still pick the Mets to win the division, but uh, if a few weeks ago I thought that the Mets would win it with you know would have it clinched by that final series in Atlanta, now I think that series might might be meaningful. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that they still need to be the the favorite to win the division, if only because they they are starting out uh, a couple of games ahead. Like even if they're all five hundred teams at this point, the Mets are the are the ones starting from the the catbird seat. Um, I don't know. It's it's been a, a wild few days. I would say. Um, that at the very least, and and even after he pulled up uh, limping a little bit today, he has remained in the game. I'm psyched about Javi Baez. I like. I'm 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 good with that. I'm uh, I am looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, and I have a question for you. Um, this is I was trying to remember what what uh, you had said that that jogged my question. Michael Conforto, um, is he? getting a qualifying offer this at this point and does he take it uh yeah i, I think you still give him a qualifying offer mm-hmm. uh you know i i think i think, you mets, have to. I think the mets where they are financially now uh should be the team that gives qualifying offers on right. any of these questionable questionable ones um we're at Syndergaard. I, yes also yeah i think you give mm-hmm. him a qualifying i agree offer. Um, like both of those guys, I think if they hit the open market, will probably do reasonably well. Uh, like I think they're both guys who are going to sign deals for fifty million dollars or more if they hit the open market. But, you think Conforto after this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't Conforto. Like I think he's got a good chance of accepting the qualifying offer at this yeah. point. But that's because he would want to rebuild value to sign the hundred million dollar contract rather than the seventy million dollar contract. Like he's on pace to get something that's more akin to like Marcelo Zuna's deal than George Springer's deal. Uh, I don't. I don't think one bad season, and it, it's been a bad season for him. But one bad season under unusual physical circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can totally discount the fact that he had COVID in February. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what role that plays in in uh, the the year that he's had. But he couldn't have like a full normal off season. Um, you know, under un, like. If I, if I were the Mets, I would still want him as part of the team long term. If I were another team, I would say, like, this could be a good bargain in free agency because of how bad the year has gone. You know, like, look at Marcus Semien, a guy who right. uh, a lot of people wrote off because his, his 2020 was not as good as his 2019. Bargain even of the offseason, by far. Even though I mean, if that's you, a, yeah. yeah, if you looked closely, there were there were good indicators. There, probably, there were more good indicators for Semien than there are for Conforto at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think both, like, both of them definitely get qualifying offers in my mind. And I, I think both of them, it would not surprise me if both of them took the qualifying offer just to rebuild their value. You know, Syndergaard, we have to see how many starts he actually makes. Uh, if he makes four really good starts, uh, then I think he might turn it down. And, and, you know, Rich Hill only needed four really good starts back in 2015 to get a, a deal. Um, so we'll see uh, on him. With Conforto, I think, it, you know, if he turns it around, even if he has a bad regular season that hits well in the postseason, that that's often enough to just show like, oh yeah, I'm kind of back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but I, I do think both of those guys you you do still extend the qualifying offer for, and I, I think I, I think that's what the Mets think also at this point. Second question, and then we'll get to our our actual reader question, and then we'll wrap up. But um, so now the Mets, if without signing Rocker, that means they're going to get the number eleven pick in next year's draft plus uh, whatever pick they earn with their finish this year. But um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is a confusing aspect of of the cur- current CBA, um, and the current CBA expires, so we don't know. Um, we don't know where, where it will come down come June, but, um, if the Mets, so 
it's hard to think of, of what player it will be that will get a qualifying offer that they might pursue in free agency because now Baez can't get a qualifying offer. Now Chris Bryant can't get a qualifying offer. Guys who have been traded uh, are no longer eligible, and that means they, they won't get, they won't require draft pick compensation. But correct me if I'm wrong, if they go out and try to sign a free agent and they sign a free agent um, who did reject a qualifying offer, that means they're going to have to give up what is their, their if I've read it correctly, their second pick. Pick, which will now be a first-round pick. Uh, I would. You're going to make me look this up now. To be I will, because they're in that. They're in like the middle tier of like the teams that aren't ex- exceeding the luxury tax um, or getting revenue sharing. So, and and I believe that the rule is you give up your second draft pick if you sign up a player who received a qualifying offer. Now, that I believe that could change by the by the spring, um, unless they you know grandfather it in for this year or whatever, um, or or make it permanent. Uh, but. Well, I guess my Mets fan nightmare scenario, and maybe this isn't this isn't fair to this current front office, is that now that now not only do they not sign Kumar Rocker, but now they're gonna say in the off season like, oh no, sorry, we can't make a run at Corey Seager or Trevor Story or John Gray or whoever, whatever other guy it is that turned down a qualifying offer because we don't want to have to give up a first round draft pick for him. Yeah, I. I- Reading it, I believe your interpretation is correct. It would be their second highest pick, which would be uh, the the first round pick they earn uh, somewhere. You know, if you're projecting out right now, somewhere around like the 18th pick or so, uh, which would be you know a, a heavy price to pay. The other scenario you can think about, uh, the kind of the opposite end of it, uh, is if you give qualifying offers to Conforto and Syndergaard and they reject them and go elsewhere, you get the two picks there. Uh, you know, after the second round you could end up with the Mets having five picks in like the first 80 picks of mm-hmm. the draft. That's not exactly comfort if, you know, for your major league roster at this point, because you would then need to replace Conforto and Syndergaard and you'd have to replace Stroman and uh, you'd have a lot of holes on your major league roster and, and you wouldn't want to give up uh, your one of those draft picks. Um, but that's that's part of the, the calculation here uh, with the qualifying offer as well with those guys. Uh, so yeah, it would be... Um, I'm trying to think of who they would want to sign in that scenario. Uh, you know, whether it's an outfielder to replace Conforto, a star, you know, they would probably be in the market for a starting pitcher. I don't know that they'd want to sign the, the top end starting pitcher. I mean, Scherzer, for instance, cannot get a qualifying offer now. Right. Uh, so that would be an interesting name on the market, though I would assume well, I... his stance against New York would would maintain uh, into the, the offseason. Um, but yeah, that, that's projecting out into into. October and November decisions, and, and the Mets have enough on their plate right now. That is absolutely fair. Speaking of which, um, and this is a tricky question. This comes from uh, Clay Davis on Twitter. Not the real, not the uh, the fic- real fictional Clay Davis, but some guy purporting to be the Senator Clay Davis from The Wire. Uh, he wants to know, uh, he says, I think it would be fair for you and Tim Britton to address the training and performance staff at this point. Where's the accountability? They've gone through, what, almost 60 players this season. Something is not right with that. Not all injuries are freak accidents like with Kevin. Yeah, you know, uh, Baseball Prospectus has done a great job this year with kind of uh, tracking uh, the injured, like how different teams compare on in terms of the uh, the injured list this year. Uh, I believe the Mets on the uh, they're current currently second in terms of uh, most players on the injured list behind Tampa Bay. They're like they're in the top five in terms of days missed on the course of the season. Uh, let me see. They are number one in terms of uh, wins above replacement missed 
uh, over the course of the season uh, in baseball this year. You know, obviously injuries have been a, a, a key storyline for the Mets all year, most notably at like the end of May, uh, but continuing on. Uh, you know, injuries have been bad everywhere. I think you have to kind of put it in right. um, like uh, an in, uh, an IL plus stat. Like I, you've gotta, I couldn't you've yeah, I, provide the I, context for it. I clicked around. I couldn't find another team that had used, I think, 58 players entering play on Monday, which the Mets were at. But um, And I didn't click every team. But there are a bunch of teams who have used in the 50s of players. Like, it's not uncommon that, uh, like, the, the number of injuries is just, I think, just up this year because of, of how weird the last two years have been. Yeah, you know, the, everyone knew the, the number of injuries were going to be up this year. The, the other good thing that Baseball Prospectus has done, they had a story that actually ran today on Monday by Derek Rhodes and Rob Maines uh, about hamstring injuries and like which teams have had the most hamstring injuries uh, in the last several years, uh, last four years in particular. Uh, and the Mets, I believe, rank third in the league. Like the uh, It's the White Sox who've had 16 hamstring-related injuries. The Rays have had 15. The Mets have had 14. The Mariners have had one. <laughs> Uh, so they're really doing a lot of yoga in Seattle. (laughs) So clearly like it does seem, you know, when people talk about injury prevention, it's really about soft tissue injuries. Like, uh, as, as the Senator pointed out, like, you know, you can't really prevent the Pilar injury. What you're hoping to prevent are the hamstring strains, the oblique strains, those types of things, uh, that, that lead to, to long-term absences that are soft tissue. Uh, you know, the Mets, you don't have Ray Ramirez to, to kick around anymore because he was viewed as that guy for so long in the organization. Mm-hmm. They moved on from him. I mean, new- you know, we've I've heard so many different places blamed for the Mets injuries. Like Jeff Wilpon. Everybody said it was, oh, this is because Jeff Wilpon forces them to play through injuries. Now Jeff Wilpon's not forcing people to play through injuries anymore, I assume, right? So, and, and that's, yet well, the injuries Well, that's why continue. so many guys are on the IL now. They're not being forced to play through Oh, them. right, because no, Jeff, Jeff Wilpon's not like, come on, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, I'm scrolling down farther on this article, and the Mets have had uh, the second most upper leg injuries as well, if you add in the quadriceps. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's the Mets, just like the Yankees did uh, in the last couple of years, and kind of were introspective and contemplative and self-reflective about uh, what are we doing wrong? Because clearly, like, you know, there might not be that many teams that are doing it right in terms of injuries, but clearly we're not doing it as well as the majority of the league for some reason. Uh, with our training, um, and uh, we should probably do something differently. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, I, if it can touch be done by people currently. <laughs> uh, bend over and touch everybody. Everybody, before we go out and play baseball, we just spend like 10 seconds touching our toes. I remember once talking to someone who had been on the Mets in the mid-2000s who was just like, I, you know, he went to some other team and he was like, I just couldn't believe how much how different the stretching routine was and i was like oh this is why jose reyes always tears his yeah. hamstring like they're just stretch they're the mess we're stretching wrong at that time uh, i don't think they 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 have changed since then um sorry I, I do think they have changed since then uh but you know they've done they've had a different staff in place since i believe 2018 was when these guys came in they've been and that's you know the it's been four years it hasn't been that much better than before um I, like, I don't know what the answer is. I, you yeah, know, it's like I, it's, it's so crazy that we're like because because you know, like we know rationally like the to be the 
trainer for the Mets, you need to be like the best in the world at that job, right? Like these these people must be so extraordinarily well trained and well educated in this field that like obviously like I'm I'm being glib when I say touch your toes. Like they they know about touching your toes, you know? Like um and so it's it's such a hard thing to wrap your head around that um you know you see with the Yankees too. Like I, I it's something I always think about with John Carlos Stanton is like why doesn't this guy stretch more? You know, and like, and they must, you, they must be doing the right. Th- I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's. I feel so weird speculating about it because, like, there's just no way I'm more qualified to tell you why the Mets get injured all the time than the the guys who are in the trainers' room. You know, wrapping up members of the Mets, um, and yet here we are looking at that those that data that you're showing me that says the Mets get injured more than the other teams. So so there is someone out there who knows more, or or maybe it's luck. Um, but but maybe there is someone out there who knows more than the Mets guys about preventing hamstring injuries. Yeah, you know, I like the uh, the end of the BP story says maybe James Clifford, Seattle's director of strength and conditioning, you know, the Mariners have only had the one hamstring strain in four years, will be as hotly pursued as Carlos Correa or Free Freeman this winter. Uh, and you know, that does two guys will like- get qualifying offers. Those are good good examples. Yeah, uh, you know, we've, I think we've talked around it in baseball the last couple of years of how, uh, like, what the next frontier is, and it is probably this area, like looking at uh, biometrics on guys and trying to predict health and prevent uh, injury uh, on a more advanced level than, than teams have been able to, and certainly the Mets have been able to lately. Uh, so it will be interesting to see you know, the, the Mets have made some infrastructure investments under the new ownership. If that is another area they look to, if not overhaul, at least add on to uh, over the next uh, year or so. Get every, did you see Edwin Diaz's Instagram with like, he, he has like weird uh, leg brace ice bucket things? Uh, I did see that at, at one point. Get everybody uh, that is, thing. There's just, <laughs> there are so many different things that, that guys use. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, Noah Syndergaard had his GQ story where he's talking about all of the different things that he does for his body. And it happens to run like three days before he suffers a physical setback. Like the game is hard. Uh, guys are trying different things and not all of them work out. Uh, that doesn't mean that hyperbaric chambers are bad. They seem to work well for Marcus Stroman. Uh, like, you know, they work well for guys in other sports. Like it's it's hard because it's your your physical health. It's an idiosyncratic thing guys get blamed for it like it's not bill walton's fault that his his foot always fell apart on him or it's not jed lowry's fault that he gets hurt a little bit more easily than some other than cal ripkin jr did um that you know it's it's not necessarily a character flaw to get hurt uh but it is something you have to factor in when you talk when you talk about a player's value uh and his availability for you and, and what your team is doing to keep those guys available none of this would be happening if they all wore fighting necklaces <laughs> I, re- I remember seeing some some uh intelligent uh people who had gone to school for science wearing fight necklaces in the clubhouse and being very very bewildered by that oh they looked cool i mean i think they like i think if you ask them they'd be like yeah it just looks cool i think it, you know it's like a team color necklace i get to accessorize um but then there were definitely people who were like no bro it's magnets <laughs> this is uh, the way i'm gonna stay healthy yeah, uh, well, well, Tim, I, I, I hope you stay healthy until later in the week when we next speak, and, and ideally, uh, so will the Mets. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll knock on wood for that. Adios. Peace out. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.